This episode is sponsored by Down to Earth Ice Teas. Our functional super teas are made from organic super herbs and adaptogens and contain no sugar, no preservatives, no food colorings, and range from only zero to 10 calories per bottle. Our beverages are USDA organic, kosher, vegan, non-GMO, and keto and paleo friendly. Finally, bottled beverages that you can truly trust. Check out drinkdowntoearth.com and use promo code PODCAST10 for 10% off your first order. Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. On our quest to achieve optimal health, it's important that we find and treat the root cause of our health conditions rather than simply utilizing a Band-Aid approach. Today, we are joined by Dr. Neil Palvin. Dr. Palvin is a New York-based functional medicine physician who specializes in sports and regenerative medicine, osteopathic manipulation, and craniosacral therapy. He works with patients to not only treat disease, but to find the root cause of their inflammation, autoimmune issues, thyroid and hormone imbalances, and digestive and gut disorders. Dr. Palvin utilizes a wide range of therapies and biohacks to allow his patients to make a lasting impact on their health. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. So why don't we begin by learning a little bit more about your story and what initially motivated you to pursue medicine in general and to focus on integrative and functional medicine, specifically in the sports arena? It was a combination of two things. First was the fact um, from college on, I was get these really severe headaches and I saw multiple doctors. I mean, I pretty much saw every type of specialist except like a gynecologist. They didn't know what to do, how to help me. And it was like a combination of a traditional doctor and a kind of a sports medicine doctor who kind of figured everything out, gave me some tips to do, and it kind of inspired me. And I inspired me to help people who kind who have the issues of not getting those answers or being told no, no, no. So I, I want to be there to kind of find, help those patients who have those tough to diagnose or those illnesses that people tell them don't exist or in their head. So that's kind of was my initial motivation. And so you're in the field of functional and integrative medicine. And for someone who's not familiar with this field of medicine, how would you best explain it to them? Yeah. So in terms of what functional integrative medicine is, is it's kind of become a much broader term as time has gone on. The main theories are that it is getting to the root cause as trying to find the cause as opposed to sometimes just treating the problem. Okay. It's not saying that, okay, you have back pain. Here's some medicine, let's figure out what the cause is, or your, or your stomach hurts, let's figure out what the, the cause is. But also looks at the, the body more globally, that one area can refer can cause symptoms in another, as opposed to just saying, oh, well, again, well, my stomach hurts, it must be your stomach, not understand that it could be anything from a back injury to esophagus to something you're eating. So it kind of goes more globally in that regard. And also it has a more holistic approach where traditional medicine is more just, here's a prescription and that's it to otherwise holistic medicine combines some traditional facets with more comprehensive lab work to supplements to mind more mind body type healing so 
it incorporates all those things in one. That's awesome. So it's not just like a patient comes into your office with back pain and you're treating every patient with back pain the same way. You're looking at the patient as a whole and looking for the root cause of their ailments. Exactly. I love that. And so you also focus on sports medicine. So even for everyday people who aren't professional athletes, I think that sports medicine can be very applicable and significant to many of our lives. So what are some areas that you think most people can benefit from when it comes to that kind of medicine? I see in two ways. One is that people are taking care, more care of their body. People are doing more things like stretching and, and, and range of motion exercises and trying to make sure that their body is kind of quote unquote, their body is their temple. So they are doing things to preventively. They are doing range, again, range of motion exercises or taking supplements to either boost their workout or help them heal quicker. They're now engaging in recovery activities. I mean, everybody's either, I get patients all the time asking about either what's what cryotherapy is or recovery boots or myofascial release, or they are incorporating all these things into their workout and trying to improve their own health where before it pretty much was, let's do my two quick hamstring stretches. And then I'm going to go do my workout wherever. And then I'm going to just go about my day. Now people are viewing it in a more holistic and kind of 360 approach, which is great as opposed to just, okay, I just want to go either do my run or go bench press the most amount of weight I do without doing anything else to either improve my workout or make sure that my body maximizes workout and I recover the best that I can from it. Definitely. And I feel like what a lot of people do is they'll look to like their favorite athlete. Tom Brady's a big one. He just, you know, won the Super Bowl again. So everyone's looking and dissecting his routine and trying to find how much does he sleep? What does he eat? What does he physically do to stay in peak shape? Which I think is great, but I think it's also important for people to realize that you do have to have a more individual approach because every single body is different and needs different things to function optimally. Exactly. And in the Tom Brady has improved like what we call like functional sports medicine to the nth level because everybody says, well, the man's what, 43, 44 years old. He just won a seventh Super Bowl. He's still probably the greatest of all time. And he eats like the cleanest diet. He has all these recovery tools. He has a trainer and all these other things to maximize his performance. So if he's still doing it, then why should I can hopefully achieve one hundredth of his success by doing some of the similar things. So he's kind of in the poster boy right now for that type of lifestyle. I think another big area that people are starting to focus more on is digestive and gut disorders. And I don't think a lot of people would necessarily associate that with maybe sports medicine or just their everyday performance, but it does have such a significant aspect. And I know that this is an area that you focus on a lot as well. So I'd love to chat about that a little bit. Pretty much gut health is almost related to any other issue at this point. And it's gotten a lot of publicity, mostly good. Some kind of, some is still kind of a little bit not true, but I mean, what it really comes down to is you have to understand your gut is, they call it your second brain. Gut health is so important. It helps in terms of, in terms of your weight issues, in terms of your metabolism. If there's issues, it's going to affect, you're going to have uh, numerous issues, including fatigue and bloating. There's a connection to the brain. So patients who get quote unquote brain fog or have even fatigue issues or patients who now, there's now a connection to unfortunate patients who have neurodegenerative issues like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. All those things are, are starting with gut health. People are now trying to maximize their gut health. They're doing everything from fasting to taking certain supplementation to they're eating specific diets that will cater to what their issues are. Some are more restrictive others, but they're still doing it because they know that by maintaining your gut health, 
that is going to help manage the rest of their health in general. So, I mean, right now, everybody should be doing something to manage their gut health because it's going to affect the rest of your body. It's where about 60 70% of the neurotransmitters are produced, things like serotonin and dopamine, which affect your mood and your, and your brain energy level. So it's something that everybody should be doing in some way, shape, or form. And so what are some things that we can be doing to support our gut health? Some people can be doing is fasting. Something you do, everything I'm suggesting, definitely talk to your doctor about as well. Fasting, what fasting provides is time for your gut to heal. So that's something that you want to look into, especially if you have some type of gut issue. Other things that people are doing now is addressing what's, what's called your microbiome. That is the bacteria in your gut that has numerous beneficial functions, including addressing like the neurotransmitters, again, the, little, the brain chemicals that you need to feel good and, and uh, perform well. So things that you can do are having fiber, a lot of fiber in your diet. You can have what are called certain foods that are good brain foods, everything from kimchi, sauerkraut, certain vegetables like jicama and artichoke and broccoli. Those are all things that you can do to help gut health. Other things you can do to protect your gut health are very similar what most people do anyway, or think avoiding certain foods like sugary foods can cause inflammation in the gut. Sometimes gluten, um, which is a, uh, it's sometimes found in like oat and wheat, can cause inflammation in some patients. So eating some, a lot of patients are eating some type of specific diet to help heal their gut as well. Also, what you can do is avoid toxins in terms of what you're putting into your body, which is preserves in food. People who put a lot of toxin, highly toxic chemicals on, those toxins will end up being absorbed into the gut and can cause issues as well. So there's numerous different things that patient people can do to help protect their gut. But once you protect your gut, you're doing something to help improve your general health. And I know fasting can be really individualized, but how many hours do you usually like or recommend to your patients? It's very different for different patients, like you said. I recommend most patients, again, I said for men, it's very easy to kind of give a specific rule. Women were finding now that certain women should not be fasting at all or need to only maybe do 10 or 12 hours, especially if you're on the slider side, have an autoimmune issue or a thyroid issue. Those women probably should not fast. For men, I tell them probably start at 12 hours, two or three days a week and try to build yourself up to 16. That's one. The other way that people do it, especially those with medical issues, we try to do what's called time-restricted eating, which is another form of fasting, but that's where you eat in a specific window, usually about eight to 10 hours. So most people will tell to eat between either eight and four or 10 and six and do that same thing every day. Like I said before, that what that does is help the bowel reset. People know about what they call a circadian rhythm in terms of sleep is actually the gut has a circadian rhythm as well. So if you're eating in those hours tend to help it heal better. Patients like who have irritable bowel or what's called inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or also colitis, that works really well. And you start, but no matter what, I normally recommend shorter term fast initially and then patients building up. And then we can kind of build from those like anything else. You can't just go from riding a, a tricycle to riding a motorcycle, you need to kind of progress yourself up but it's not slowly over time. Now, I'm actually curious. So you mentioned the link between our gut health and other ailments like brain fog or even links to Alzheimer's. How often do you find that patients come in with a chief complaint of like fatigue and it's linked to their gut? Or do you think they're usually coming in for like bloating, constipation, and then you're healing the gut? Probably about 25 to 30% of the time, there's a fatigue issue because if, if there's inflammation, you're not absorbing nutrients and it's causing an, auto, an autoimmune response and the gut's not working appropriately, you may get bloating. So 
I'd say probably 25 to a third of patients who come in with gut issues will have fatigue issues as well. A lot of things that go on in the body, it's kind of a snowball effort or that will cause one issue and cause something else and may affect hormone production and that causes fatigue, but definitely at least probably 25 to 30% of the time. Yeah. Fatigue is a big one. And I know that at your practice, you also focus a lot on brain health. And I think a lot of people, you know, focus on their health, but they forget to focus on their brain health. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. So I'd love to hear some of the ways that you help patients sort of exceed with their brain health. Again, there's tons of different ways to do it. It really depends on how aggressive patients want to be. First thing we do is a simple thing. It's, it's, it's things you hear since you were 15 years old. Exercise. We know exercise increases uh, what's called BDNF, which is brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is why you get that brain rush when you exercise, especially they call it the runner's high or when you get a good workout in that you get that high. That's the, one of the chemicals that causes that. That's something you can very simply do. Sleep also improves the brain health. We know that's when the brain will detox. It's also when the brain will deal with inflammation. It's when you're... Uh, some of the hormones you need for good brain health are emerged or re- reproduced. So that's you want to make sure that you're getting seven hours of sleep a night and getting good deep sleep. Other things you can do simply are eating good brain foods, things like nuts, fish, avocado. They have the good fats that the brain needs, along with fruits that have what are called polyphenols that help with good brain health. And then there's always the really more higher end thing. There are certain supplements and compounds that help brain health. Either if you just want to maximize it or you want to, or if you're unfortunately dealing with a brain illness. And then there's some really cool technology, things like hyperbaric and red light therapy that also can help brain health. Awesome. And I know that you run a test called the brain gauge test. What exactly is that? And does it show? Uh, Yeah, the brain gauge test is a test that it's kind of a, a broad evaluation of how the brain is working. That's one of the tests that we use. We usually coordinate a lot of times with lab work an exam itself, and then the patient's history of what's going on. It's one piece of the, of the brain puzzle. It's not an exact science. Now you add that to something called the QEEG, which is kind of what we call people may call brain mapping, where you can see there's a, an issue in certain parts of the brain that gives you the full picture of what's going on. And what were some supplements that you liked for brain health? DHA, which is a omega-3 fatty acid, is very good for brain health. Vitamin D is very good for brain health. Magnesium. Resveratrol or terastobine, which is very good for brain health. NAD plus, which is getting a little more publicity as well, is really good for brain health. Berberine is, is good for brain health. I mean, those are some that are really, that are kind of that little starter pack that people can definitely use to really work on the, if just to maintain a healthy brain. And is the NAD, do you prefer it in IV form or I know that they have the patches as well? The simple answer is is really two pieces. A, we know that in a vacuum, the best way to get the benefits of NAD are either in injection or IV form. That we know for sure. We don't know, and I'm not sure if the, for people always ask, is there's two main forms out there, NR, which is nicotine and riboside, and NMN. We don't know which form is actually the best. There's been more studies on the NR form right now, which goes back to in terms of the oral conversation, the oral pills have some minimal studies that are out there. We recommend using a higher strength oral pill if you're going to use it. If you do want to get the, the benefits that NED does provide, the patches that you mentioned are somewhere in the middle. That's become what we call anecdotal, where patients tell us that it works well. There are no great studies that back that up, that it's because it's absorbing through the skin and it throws you into, instead of going into 
in terms of the blood vessels are going into into your gut. So I like using it for patients who just don't want to do injections or don't have the time or can't afford the IV form of the NAD, but it's there. I would say if you want, opt, make sure you're getting it to the IV or the self-injection or get an injection from your doctor. But then I recommend the patches and the, probably the least I recommend right now are the, is the oral, even though there's some good oral ones coming out. There's also a nose spray, which works really well for patients who are using it for brain or addiction issues. And you may get some of the, the general benefits as well from it. Now, is NAD something that we could all benefit from? Or do you think it's something that you really need to have a specific issue for in order for it to make sense? Everybody's taking NAD in some form, probably, if you're over the age of like 30, 35, because that's when we know when it starts to decrease. Before that, it may not have much benefit. It does have so many great benefits. It helps the body work in the mitochondria, which is one of the energy producers of the cell. It helps the body detox. It helps regulate your circadian rhythm. It helps with inflammation. So it has so many really good benefits. So most people should be taking it in some form, or at least discussing it with their, their healthcare provider. But usually, again, at the age of around 30, 35 is when it really, we know that it starts to, the levels start to diminish. Awesome. Well, that's definitely good to keep in mind. And I also want to speak with you about labs a little bit, because I'm a big believer that even if we feel healthy, there's still certain labs that we should get run at least maybe once a year, every other year. And so I'd love to know what labs you recommend that the average person get on a consistent basis. In terms of lab work for the average person who has no medical issues per se, or really just wants to make sure they're in good health, it's definitely, you want to look at your electrolytes, your, like your sugar, your calcium, your your liver function. That's called a, usually called a comprehensive metabolic panel. You definitely want to look at your blood count, like your white blood cell count, uh, your red blood count. That's called a CBC. That's the core of any lab work. And then in terms of more full body, you definitely want to get a vitamin D you want to get a vitamin D 25 hydroxy, which is much more indicative of your vitamin D levels, especially now with what's going on. Uh, you definitely want to get a B12 and folate. You definitely want to get a thyroid panel, which should be a TSH, free T3, free T4, T4, and T3, as well as some thyroid antibodies. And then a couple other one quick ones would definitely be getting men and women need a testosterone level. That's something that we know that men and women both need testosterone. Women should have their estrogen levels checked. And most patients should get an iron level tested as well. That's a good starter pack. And then you could, again, you could do a much deeper dive depending on uh, what you're specifically looking for. And so let's say a 25-year-old male comes into your office. Are you still testing his testosterone? Yes. Yeah. And, and it still gives me an indication of their general health as well. One lab I did mention that everybody should get, actually two other ones that everybody should be getting, especially people who are now using things like continuous glucose monitors and all the wearables that are out there is a fasting insulin level before nine in the morning and a CRP, which kind of goes back into your other question is because testosterone tells me how well other systems are working. It's affected by your cortisol. It's affecting by your insulin levels. It's affected by your thyroid. So it still gives me a general picture of their health. And also, if it's already low at the age of 25, then I know that's something that we have to pay attention to. Most men at 25 aren't going on testosterone levels, but it's still a really good indicator of general health. Yeah, I think it's nice to be able to have that value so that when a man does get older, he has those labs to refer back to, and you can kind of see the trajectory of the testosterone. Definitely. I totally agree. And so if, let's just say, a male 25 comes in and his testosterone is suboptimal, what are ways that you can maximize that or his hormone health in general? It depends on how old they are, but I mean, some really good basic things. Again, exercise is going to help boost it. 
fasting can help boost your testosterone. Red light therapy, which I mentioned before, has been shown to boost testosterone. Sleep is another one, like I mentioned before, will help boost testosterone. And then you get into a combination of a bunch of supplements that may help depending on how low it is. I know you're also a big fan of biohacking and biohacking in general is becoming a lot more popular now. There are so many different biohacks out there. So I'd love to know some of your favorites. Sure. I know I love biohacking for people who don't know what it is. Biohacking is just really the combination of shortcuts and ways to optimize your health. And there's people that could be anything from just monitoring your sleep through a wearable to patients who have thousands of dollars. of. T- I, I know patients now have biohacking rooms in their house with hyperbaric and all these cool gadgets. So anything you do to optimize health, they gave me fasting, which is free. So my favorite biohacks is one I met, I've mentioned several times already is red light therapy. That's a combination of infrared and red light, which has been shown now to help with inflammation. I know uh, you mentioned Tom Brady and Tom Brady has you in, in, at his gym. It helps increasing your nitric oxide, which gives you energy and it may help regulate your microbiome. It also is maybe good for brain health. So for something that does not require an injection or a pill, doing something 10 minutes a day, five days a week has been really helpful. Other hack, biohacks I really like, I, I'm, I'm, I do a lot of fasting. And then one or two supplements that I'm a big fan of is besides NAD is something called spermidine, which helps with longevity and something called boosting what's called autophagy, which has gotten a, become a big buzzword in, in health and definitely in biohacking. And I'm a big fan of optimizing my sleep. What I do is I try to wear blue light blocking glasses when I'm working on the computer all day, like most people are right now, doing all their Zoom calls. I'm wearing them um, right now. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah, because that light from your computer, your phone screen is affecting the, the brain's ability to produce your melatonin, which obviously when most patients need to sleep, it affects what's called your SCN in your brain. So you definitely want to do that. Try to sleep in a cold room. Try not to be on your phone or computer screen two hours before you go to bed. So those are some of the, the ones that I'm, I'm using now. Those all sound great. And I'd love to know a little bit more about the hyperbaric chamber because it's something that I've looked into before. But is it something that's good for just overall wellness? Could we be getting too much oxygen? How does it work? Yeah, no, hyperbaric chamber is, is a, it's a high oxygen chamber, which puts under a certain amount of atmospheric pressure. It looks like a giant tube. It works on, by that high oxygen can help with... Um, decreasing inflammation. It helps blood flow. It helps healing. Now they're doing studies actually with COVID and some other neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. So you cannot get too much oxygen as long as the machine is run appropriately. To answer your first part of your question, anybody has access to it, they should do it. The issue right now with it is really comes down to cost, availability, and optimally you should be doing it three to like two to five times a week. It's an hour treatment usually. So it's something that it's not always A to B to have time to hop in your hyper, hop in a hyperbaric chamber for an hour. So it's something that most people can't do at optimal doses. I try to do it once or twice a month where, and I still feel some of the benefits in terms of recovery and decreased inflammation as well as brain clarity. I definitely would recommend people look into into their area. It's not something you want to purchase on your own, but a lot of doctor's offices are now getting them and also quote unquote recovery studios that have things like recovery boots and IVs will tend to have them now. They're becoming more and more popular. And it's something that I think is something pretty simple to do. Um, you just lay in there now, you read a book or watch a pot, listen to a podcast and uh, you're done. 
Awesome. Now I do want to go back to sleep a little bit. So let's say you have a patient who's coming in, they're having trouble sleeping. Obviously you want to get down to the root cause, clean up their environment, their work on their sleep hygiene. Are you a fan of supplementation, like any herbs to help with sleep or melatonin? Melatonin is actually is starting to get a bad rap in terms of sleep, which is a, it's happened in the last year or so. There are studies now that show that melatonin may actually may have decreased your sleep in some patients. It affect, we know it affects your, what's called your tryptophan system is one of your neurotransmitters that affects your mood. We know it also may decrease testosterone. So we're trying to tell patients now that if you are going to use melatonin, use it on an occasional basis. Don't use it every day. We also recommend that patients use it at a very low dose, like 0.5 milligrams. That's the recommended dose for sleep. Most of the bottles are at three milligrams or two milligrams. You buy at a health food store online. And they did a study where they, I think it was 10 different brands of over-the-counter melatonin. And none of them had, some of them didn't even have melatonin in them. And if they did, it was not even close to the dose of what was on the bottle. Either it was too much or too low below what the bottle was saying. So melatonin's kind of become the bad boy now of sleep supplements in a way. I do use supplements for sleep if I need to. I do use melatonin at the right dose and encourage patients how to use it. I use magnesium, which is really good for sleep. CBD is really good for sleep. If you're into essential oils, things like lavender are really good for sleep. A long supplement that addresses your, your cortisol levels called phosphatidylserine is good for sleep. Theanine is really good for sleep. Some people use it in their morning coffee. So those are really some of the go-tos combining with the sleep hygiene to work on your sleep levels. I took melatonin for a while, but I did notice that some nights I'll take it and it actually did the reverse. So I guess that, you know, now that there's signs to it, it's good to know. Yeah, no, it, it's it's kind of everybody asks about it, everybody wants to take it, and then we're they've done more and more research on it because of that, and now they're finding that again it works in short doses. They're using it for certain patients who are really trauma sleeping. They're starting to use it in children with autism, and again, it's good. It's good in anything. It's good in moderation. It's just not something like caffeine that you want to be, be doing every day. Yeah, and I actually did want to ask you. I know there was some research that I saw circulating on melatonin and COVID. I'm not sure if you've explored that at all or looked into it, but I don't know if there's some sort of correlation. They're doing a bunch of studies now on melatonin and COVID. Yeah, they're definitely coming out. Melatonin, actually, they're finding other uses for. Um, COVID, I know there's one of them. There's one or two studies that show it may help with treating COVID. It's nothing been proven to just say that as a, as a source. I and mean, that's actually being used at higher doses. But there are some initial studies that is a good antioxidant. There are definitely some indications that it may help as part of a whole stack to help patients either not in terms of prevention, but in terms of treating COVID. It's also one or two studies that are being worked on that may have some benefit to patients with different types of cancer. So yeah, melatonin definitely for other things has great promise, just maybe not as much for sleep. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely something to watch look out for in the near future. I know a lot of those studies are, are coming to conclusion right now. Definitely. Yeah, that's super interesting. Now, I know that another arena you focus on is toxicity, specifically mold toxicity, which a lot of people probably are suffering with without realizing it. So I'd love if you could speak about that a little bit and also some ways that you help your patients detox from influx of mold. Sure. No. Uh, yeah. Like you said, mold is one of those things that most people aren't aware of that can cause really generalized symptoms. It's starting to get a little more publicity now. So mold toxicity comes from in most cases, either from a, a leak or a problem with an 
an HVAC system, an air conditioning system. And in most cases you'll see it. In some cases you're not because it's inside an air van or behind a wall that you just don't, aren't aware of, especially people who are renting an apartment or a home and just don't know the history of the building. It can cause numerous symptoms. It can cause the main symptoms that we see are a lot of, of brain fog and weight gain because it can affect the gut, a lot of inflammation, fatigue. Some people will get rashes as well. So it's something that it can cause a lot of issues. And if you're not looking for it, it can be very debilitating. There are people, about 25% of people who are very sensitive to mold. It's called an HLA-DR sensitivity. And those patients, unless it's, the mold is removed very quickly, have actually unfortunately had to move from their home because they just every time they go into a moldy place, they're just insanely sensitive and they just feel horrible. So um, it's something that you definitely need to be aware of. In terms of treatments, it usually involves two or three different components to it. One, we use what's called a binder. And there's different levels. Everything from like people use what's called zeolite or bentonite clay or charcoal, which some people use and you step in their smoothies, to there's prescription medications that we use to help bind it. We describe it as we're trying to act like a magnet and get the mold out of their system as much as they can. And then we try to increase your detox by doing things like sauna and sweating, which will help the body and other supplements help the body detox as quickly as possible. And then we work on, there's also some damage to certain hormones in the body. And we work with numerous different compounds and supplements and what are called peptides to help address that as well. That's usually more further evaluated with, with really comprehensive lab work. And then we work on the specific issues. So it's usually a combination of those things. And some people actually use things like that we mentioned before, things like red light and hyperbaric to help their body heal quicker from it. I definitely want to go back to the peptides, but how long have you seen that it usually takes to detox a patient from mold? Does it really depend on the chronicity of it? It depends on a lot of things. It's kind of like anything else is there's certain patients that are just really susceptible to it and they're having issues for months to years. I saw a patient this week where they recovered pretty much in two or three months. So it really depends on how quickly you catch it because the awareness is now out there. It also depends on how strong your immune system is, what your genetics are. So it really runs the gamut in terms of how long it could take. It really, the sooner you start looking at it, the, the quicker you're going to usually heal. And are you testing for the mold before and a few months after treatment, or is it really based on the patient's symptoms and if they're getting better? I've become more of a minimalist on lab testing to a certain extent because there's so many tests now, and they're also very, a lot of them are not covered by insurance, they're very expensive. Usually, if a patient knows that they've been exposed to mold, they've seen it and they have the textbook symptoms and they have the genetics behind it, I will not test for the specific mold. If it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it's a duck. If it's something where we're guessing, we're not sure, it could be five other things, then I'll do more complicated mold testing to kind of verify what I already think because I don't want to put somebody through a whole mold regimen who has not been exposed. And also sometimes the severity of mold will give me some indication. Unfortunately, the tests for mold are pretty expensive at this point. So again, I, I tend to use it when I need it, but it's usually helpful. And now going back to the peptide therapy, we actually had a doctor talk about peptides on our show a couple of months ago, and it was really fascinating. Do you see this kind of therapy becoming more mainstream in the future? Yes, yes, and yes. It has so many benefits. It works on very specific systems and symptoms, it has very minimal side effects in most cases. I mean, I use them every day. I mean, I, people, it used to be me recommending them to patients a year and a half ago, two years ago. Now I would say 75% of patients are, are finding me to ask about them because it's just it's gone out into every community from general health people to biohackers to athletes looking to recover better. So 
they're very helpful. And I think they're part of the, the future of Madison. Yeah, I know. We were super impressed by all the science that we've seen from peptide therapy and definitely hope that more and more people start to benefit from it. I totally agree. It's, they're very simple. It's great. For sure. Now, I'm sure you also have a lot of patients that come in that want to sort of focus on anti-aging. I feel that's become a big goal of people in recent years, or maybe it always has been. There's just social media now, so things are more transparent and information is more accessible. But what are some everyday ways that people could sort of help slow down the aging process? Sure. A lot of them I've already mentioned that are, are easy to do. Again, the, the core four is sleep, exercise, diet, and stress relief. I mean, definitely having some type of mind-body practice, be it meditation, be it gratitude, have all been shown to help. Things that have now come out from what are called the blue zones, which are the areas throughout the world that have a very high um, lifespan. We know things, especially now, things like connection has actually been shown to really boost longevity. Happiness has been shown to boost longevity. Actually, hand grip strength is now shown to have a relationship to longevity as well. So those are simple things. I talked about fasting um, has been shown to boost longevity and then and have an anti-aging effect. And then you get into the kind of more deep dive things that I haven't talked about are working on your mitochondria. We know that a lot of damage to your mitochondria and the mitochondria inability to recycle itself can lead to aging issues. So again, those are things like red light, there's supplementation, exercise, hyperbaric, cold suppression. People who are now doing either like cold plunges or taking a cold shower can help with that. So, and then working on your brain. I mean, there's again, everything from the supplements and the IVs to just doing a puzzle every day and having a connection or trying to do something you've never done before to make that brain work are all things that you can do for anti-aging effect. Those are, that's definitely a really good starter pack. And then you get into the things, the new and old things in terms of working on your skin, which everybody seems to ask about first or second too. So there's definitely, there's so many different ways you can approach it. And I, I, I always talk to patients like, what are your main goals? And then secondarily, how much, how much of a deep dive do you really want to do here? Because you can do one thing that's really going to help you out totally, or you can really focus on one thing and achieve some anti-aging effects, but it really all starts with that foundation because I Without that foundation, everything else is really not going to work as well. Definitely. And it's so multifaceted, but I like that you mentioned other things like even just community and happiness, which sometimes we kind of forget and put on the back burner while we're so focused on the superficial stuff. But yeah, I think that those things are can be super important and underappreciated. Yeah, it's getting, it's, getting, it's getting a little more buzz now, especially unfortunately people, some people locked down and missing that and they're, they're trying to mot- promote that more and more. But yeah, it's something that's something very simple that people can work on and uh, it has a lot of benefits to it. Totally. Now, one other thing that I really want to talk to you about and I've seen you mention is LDN. So if you can just talk a little bit about what it is and conditions that you use it for and success that you've seen in your patients who you've put on LDN. Sure. No, LDN is, I love, it has so many great benefits. It's a LDN stands for low-dose naltrexone. It is a derivative of naltrexone, which they use for opioid issues and people who unfortunately have addiction or overdose. They found if you give it in a dose, about 3 to 10% of the normal dose had numerous benefits. It works on one of the receptors in the brain. If you take it at night, it helps produce endorphins, which help with pain. They also found now it may help with people with weight loss and working on the insulin resistance. It helps to reset your immune system, so we use it in immune issues. 
It also can help with gut mobility. So we're using things like irritable bowel and SIBO. Now, it also helps with some brain issues as well because it helps with the inflammation in the brain. It can be given in so many different forms now. There's a nose spray, there's a pill, there's a tab you put under your tongue. So there's so many different ways that you can take it. And it just has so many benefits. I've had patients who've had gut issues for five years, tried everything else, and they took it. And three months later, their gut issues are gone. It's great for patients with things like fibromyalgia. It could help with the pain complaints and as well as some of the neurologic issues. We're using really one of the biggest growing facets of it is, is weight gain as well as patients for weight loss. I've had patients use it by itself or in combination with other medications in a weight loss program, and they'll lose sometimes six to eight pounds a month. That's on average. Not everybody's the same. So it, it's something that is very simple to use. The main side effect that we see is insomnia that, haven't, that usually goes away really quickly. And, but otherwise, it works well usually on it for about six months. So it has, again, for something like we talked about with peptides, it has so many benefits, very minimal side effects, and it works for so many conditions. It's something that I recommend that people with illnesses look into. It's also really good for something called Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune thyroid issue. We've had really great success with that as well. And so you mentioned six months. So is this something that you don't leave patients on long-term or it's safe to be on long-term? It's both. I mean, we tell the patient initially that you're going to be on it for anywhere from three to six months to really get the full benefit of it. And then there are patients who, at that, when they're done, they feel they don't want to take it anymore. They can come off of it. I've had patients on it for three, four years and with minimal side effects. So it really depends on what we're treating and how the patient feels about continuing to take it. I mean, I have patients who the day they're done, they're, they're never going to take it again. I've had patients say, well, my... I have no side effects and my gut feels better and I have more energy. Why would I stop? So it's very individualized in that regard. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely have to look into it more because this is the first time that I'm hearing about it. So I'm glad that you're finding a lot of success with it. Yeah. No, I've, I've again, has so many uses now. And it's again, something that instead of having patients taking pain medicine or all these other prescription medications, it, it's what I love about what I do in terms, especially in terms of functional medicine, if you can and find something that, will fix five or six different things at one time. It's great as opposed to giving somebody six prescriptions or even six supplements. It, you want to try to minimize what people are taking. So, Definitely. I totally agree. Now, I'd love to know a little bit about your routine since you have all these different modalities that you like to work with. What does your morning routine look like? That's changed a little bit. But right now, I really have done a couple things where I will... I kind of gotten to more a mind-body approach. I, I, I'll write, I'll have do gratitude in the morning. I'll write a list of kind of what I also what I have to do during the day and make sure I get that done. I, then I do, usually we'll try to do a mobility routine with breath work. I usually fast in the mornings and I will usually start the morning with a cold shower. Since I'm in Manhattan, I can't do a cold plunge or do any of that type of stuff. So I'll do that. And I'll sometimes try to get in a, uh, a coffee with MCT oil and what are called exogenous ketones to get my brain started for the day. So that's kind of my starter pack. That's great. And a cold shower is great. I do that every day as well, a plunge or a shower. And it makes such a big difference on just how you feel and your energy levels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It gets, when I need it, it helps my clarity. It helps relax me. And some people do it at night. I tell patients now to even do them at night because it calms them down before, for patients who can't sleep. So cold showers are, are definitely something that I, I recommend for a lot of people. Yeah. And I forgot to ask you earlier, but are you a fan of cryotherapy? I mean, I know that it sort of has been gaining a lot of popularity over the last few years. You don't hear about it as much now, but I've personally done it and felt really good from it. 
I like cryo. I mean, cryo is great for injuries. I tend to, the studies tend to be a little bit leaning more towards cold plunger showers opposed to cryotherapy, but it definitely, it works. It's just, you, you can't do it at home. Obviously you're not going to have, um, but it, it definitely has its benefits. If you do it several times a week, I have, I have several patients who do it three or four times a week and they love it. They just, like you said, they get the energy, yeah. their information goes away. It's something to do. It just now I know at least by me, a lot of those places are closed and it's more and more people are leaning towards the, the cold immersion part, but they're both good. Yeah, they're both good. And again, I felt good from cryo, but I definitely feel like a more significant impact from a plunge or just a really cold shower. Exactly. Now, one question that we love to ask all of our guests is if you can have tea with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Not expecting that one. Um, I know. Everyone's always thrown off by that one, but uh, we ask everyone this question. I'm hacking to dinner or tea. I would probably say one of two people. It would probably either be... Warren Buffett or Jackie Robinson. They're both trendsetters and leader in, in, in what they did. I mean, Jackie Robinson had to deal with so much to do in terms of in Major League Baseball. And he just did. He was so strong, but also performed impeccably. And Warren Buffett has top of his field and he's the least audacious person on the planet. He, I mean, he's not showy. He just does what he does. He's supposed to be very nice, doesn't live, doesn't live above his means. And he's just very... And he's great at what he does. So that combination, just I would love to know how he motivates himself to perform that way and keep performing the way as he does as he gets older. I mean, he could have retired 40 years ago, and but he still works and has that mindset. So I think I'm a big mindset person. So those are probably the two people that I'd want to have tea with. Yeah, those are both great. And I agree with you. I mean, he's super down to earth and he's still working. So there must be something to that too, right? I think that having a purpose and passion definitely helps keep people young and vibrant and full of energy. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone out there who's listening to this that wants to learn more about your work or potentially come and see you as a patient, where are the best places to reach you at? The best places to reach out is the, is the website, which is Dr. Paulvin, uh, D-O-C-T-O-R, my last name, paulvin.com. Or if you have a quick question, you can, there's a chat box there, or you can reach out to me on the best places at Instagram, which is Dr. Paulvin. Or actually, I've done a lot on Clubhouse now, where I do, for anybody who knows what Clubhouse is now, um, it's an app where I, we, I do conversations probably twice a week on health and biohacking. So they can check me out there as well. That's awesome. Yeah, Clubhouse is getting a lot of a lot of people on there now. So definitely something to check out. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, no, it seems great. Well, thanks again for joining us. We both learned so much from this conversation. And again, thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate yes. it. Thanks for joining us on our episode with Dr. Paulvin. Dr. Paulvin shared so much great wisdom with us on the importance of finding the root cause of our health conditions and informed us on various great treatments and biohacks that can make a profound impact on our health. As always, if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.